Good evening. Tonight is Thursday night, November 12th, 2020. It is such a great pleasure to be together with you, to be able to study together tonight, mining the riches of the Parsha for this week's Parsha Chayesara. Last Shabbos, we lost one of the great leaders of our generation, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. <coughs> His greatness was in many areas, on many levels. Personally, and I know this is true for many, his greatest impact on me is his Torah teaching, writing and speaking. But in the face of that loss, let's focus just for a moment on our blessing to be living at this particular time in history where Rabbi Sachs had the technical ability and the foresight to make his teaching so accessible by email, on his website, YouTube, and other platforms. And I urge you to enrich yourself, to elevate yourself by reading his books, his essays, <coughs> watch his videos. There is no better or more uplifting source of Jewish learning today. And there is no greater tribute to this extraordinary man. And for that reason, permit me tonight to share with you a teaching which is partially based on weaving together several of his essays that Rabbi Sachs wrote over a number of years that relate to some of the main themes with which he was concerned during his life. There are three Torah portions, three parshios, that present to us for all time the life of Avraham, Abraham, our patriarch. The Parsha of Lech Lecha, the beginning of his journey. Literally, God says, Lech Lecha, start your journey. Last week's Parsha, the Parsha of Vayera, which is the middle of Avraham's active life. And then our Parsha, Chayesara, the end of Avraham's life. At the opening of our Parsha, Avraham is 137 years old. And at the end of our Parsha, he passes away at the age of 175. And his death is described in the Torah in a unique manner. I can't think of any death in the entire Torah that even approaches this description. The Torah says near the end of our parsha, the Ela Avraham these are the number of years of Avraham's life, Ma'ashana Veshivim Shana Vachameshanim, one hundred seventy-five years, Vayigvai Vayamas Avraham, and Avraham died. Beseva Tova, in good advanced years, Zakain 
visavea, old and satisfied. Vayeyosef elamov, and he was gathered to his people. Vayikburu oso Yitzchak v'yishmael banav, and Yitzchak and Yishmael, his sons, buried him. El ma'aras ha-machpelah, in the cave of Machpelah, beside his beloved wife, Sarah. Remember, Yishmael, Avraham's firstborn son to Hagar, has been out of the picture since Yishmael was a boy. God said to Avraham that Yishmael would not be part of his covenant and would not be part of his descendants. And we have not heard anything about Yishmael. His name has not been mentioned in the Torah since he was sent away as a boy. So this scene is also a reconciliation. Can you imagine a more beautiful, fulfilled, serene death with his family reconciled around him, peaceful, satisfied, and grateful? And yet, at the beginning of our Parsha, we see Avraham struck by two of the most bitter blows in his life. At the end of last week's Parsha, Akedas Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, where God told Avraham that he was to offer his son as an offering, as a sacrifice, only to be told at the last moment, no, don't harm the child. But who can even fathom the trauma that that must have caused? And then, and perhaps it's even connected, our Parsha opens with the death of Sarah, his beloved wife, his partner in all he accomplished. And at the same time as those two overwhelming blows, Avraham is also undergoing two existential crises. Because by this moment in Avraham's life, he had received two promises from God. And both of these promises are repeated by God to Avraham five times, each one. The first promise is land. God promises Avraham that the land to which he had traveled, Canaan, the land of Israel, will one day be his. Five times God repeats that promise that the land of Israel will be given to Avraham and his descendants forever. The second promise, God promised Avraham he would have children. Again, repeated five times. I will make you a great nation, as numerous as the stars of the sky and the dust of the earth. These are remarkable promises. The entire land of Israel as an everlasting possession, 
Avram will have as many children as the stars of the sky. But what's the reality? The reality is by the beginning of our Parsha, when Sarah dies and Avram is 137 years old, Avraham owns no land and has only one unmarried son, Yitzchak. How does Avraham go from the beginning of our parsha suffering a double trauma and the disappointment of God's unfulfilled promises to the end of our parsha where Avraham passes away beseva tova at a good advanced age Zakain Visaveya, old and satisfied and feeling blessed. How does Avraham make that transition? And please understand, whatever insight we reach tonight, this is not just biblical commentary. Remember Mike Tyson's famous line, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. How do you lose everything? Your life permanently turned upside down in an instant and still move forward. So many things in life you just can't fully prepare for. And even if you do prepare, the reality can still be so much worse than you ever imagined. For example, everyone who loses a loved one grieves. But sometimes, maybe after the passing of a spouse or a parent, even after time has passed, we are still overwhelmed and just simply unable to get back on track. Or maybe, God forbid, we suffer a sudden injury or diagnosis and in an instant, our life as we knew it, is over, never to return. Right now, <coughs> excuse me, right now, many of us are stunned to be in a place of pain and loneliness and need due to COVID. We never imagined we would ever be in such a situation. How do we deal with that? What wisdom does Judaism offer? How did Avraham deal with that? The answer is in the structure of our Parsha. And the key to the answer is found in one verse. At the lowest point in Avraham's life, suffering terribly in ways we cannot even imagine, the Torah tells us five Hebrew words. The Torah says near the beginning of our parsha, Batama Sarah, Sarah passed away. Vayavo Avraham lispod Avraham came to eulogize Sarah and to cry for her. And then these five words. Vayakam Avraham me'al penei mesa. And Avraham rose from his grief. 
And from, <coughs> from that point, Avram engages in a flurry of activity, which makes up the two central narratives of our Parsha. First, he buys a plot of land in which to bury Sarah. And that's the first step in acquiring the land of Israel for his descendants. And second, he searches for a wife for his son Yitzchak. That's the next step in creating the Jewish people and Jewish history. Neither is easy. Bargaining with Ephron to purchase this plot of land to bury Sarah is humiliating and tense. On the surface, Ephron, the seller, appears genial and cooperative, but the reality is he was exploitative and demeaning. But that field with the cave, purchased with difficulty and at great expense, is the first part of Israel to come into Jewish possession. And it is the only piece of Israel that Avraham will see in his ownership. The only part that Avraham will see of God's promise in his lifetime. God's promise doesn't just happen. It happens with Avraham's hard work. And it happens slowly and with setbacks. In other words, <coughs> God's promise is more precisely an invitation for Avraham to extend his effort to make it happen. And then Avraham turns his effort to the second promise, a numerous nation descending from him in Sarah. And the next step is to find a wife for Yitzchak. That too does not come easily. Only with extreme effort, by sending his servant Eliezer with specific detailed instructions, which also requires tact and judgment and dealing with unsavory relatives. But Rivka, Rebecca, our matriarch, is found. And God's promise through Avraham's effort will eventually be fulfilled. And isn't it fascinating that here we are 4,000 <coughs> 4, years later and we today have the same concerns as Avraham in our Parsha, Israel and Jewish continuity. And notwithstanding God's promises, we too still have to work for it. And it comes slowly with many detours and obstacles because faith does not mean being, <coughs> being passive and letting God do it for us. It means having the courage to act and never be deterred the future will happen, but it is we, inspired, empowered, given strength by God's promise, but it is we who must bring it about. Faith in God means if we do 
our best, we can succeed. So that's the structure which takes Avraham from the lowest point in his life at the beginning of the Parsha to by the end of the Parsha being able to look back on everything as good and blessed. <coughs> but how did he do it? What is the mechanism by which Avram achieved this transformation? What is the strategy that we can emulate to help us in our lives? The key, says Rabbi Sachs, is those five words when Sarah dies. Vayakam Avraham me'al p'nei meso. And Avraham rose from his grief. First, you have to build a future. Only then can you mourn the past. One person in the Torah did look back. In last week's Parsha, Lot's wife, against the instructions of the angels who were leading her, she actually did look back as the cities of Sodom and Amorah disappeared under fire and brimstone and the anger of God, Lot's wife was immediately turned into a pillar of salt. The Torah's graphic description of a woman so overwhelmed by shock and grief, she was unable to move on. And it's against the background of that narrative that we can understand the contrast to Avraham in our Parsha. Avraham set the precedent. First, build the future. Only then can you mourn the past because if you reverse the order, you will be held captive by the past. You will be unable to move on. You will become like Lot's wife. Jewish life provides reminders of this at our most traumatized and vulnerable moments. I remember my father's funeral nine years ago. When the grave was filled, I didn't want to leave. I felt inconsolable. I felt I hadn't done enough and now I would never be able to make it right. I just wanted to stay there and not move. But there is a custom. When the grave is filled and Kaddish is said, the mourners are told to walk between two lines of people offering condolences. That practice serves the purpose of propelling the mourner from the cemetery into the next stage, it pushes the mourner to begin to allow the community to comfort and mourn with them, beginning the period of Shiva. And similarly, the custom of walking around the block at the end of Shiva. I know of mourners who would have refused to end their Shiva had I not told them they must get up and take that walk. <coughs> it's not easy.
Vayakam Avraham me'al p'nei meso. Avraham rose from his grief. It may have been the hardest thing Avraham ever did in his life. But it enabled him to live the rest of his life with accomplishment and fulfillment and even at times joy while never forgetting the losses he suffered. Avraham heard the future calling to him. Sarah had died. Yitzchak was unmarried. Avram had neither land nor grandchildren, yet he did not cry out in anger or express anguish. Instead, he heard the voice of God saying, the next step depends on you. You must create the future that I will fill with my spirit, God says. That is how Avraham survived the shock and the grief. God forbid that we experience anything like that. But if we do, this is how to survive. <coughs> I know a man lives in a different part of Canada. And I once asked him, what is your favorite Jewish holiday? And he said to me, my favorite Jewish holiday is Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av, which is the saddest day of the Jewish calendar, the day we commemorate national destruction and trauma. It's an unlikely choice for a favorite Jewish holiday. So I asked him, why is Tisha B'Av your favorite holiday? And he said to me, because six days later, it is followed by Tu Ba'av, the 15th day of Av, which is a sort of Jewish Valentine's Day. Our rabbis say it is the happiest day in the Jewish calendar. And that's why Tisha Ba'av is his favorite. And then he told me a quote. Now this man, has a personal friendship relationship with Conrad Black. I'm sure all of us have heard of him, but this man knows him personally. And <coughs> in a conversation the two of them once had, Conrad Black said the following to him. It's all right to stumble. It's all right to fall. But it's not all right to not get back up. If God forbid you are punched in the face and you now confront a life you never imagined, take the steps to build your future. Only then can you mourn the past without being lost in it. Our Parsha shows it worked for Avraham <coughs> and it will work for us. <clears throat> Permit me to share one second piece with you tonight. So I want to start with a story that's an introduction to what I want to share 
In the 1700s, the greatest rabbi, the greatest Talmudic scholar, probably for centuries, was Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna, known as the Vilna Gon. The Vilna Gon died in 1797. <coughs> in the late 1800s, a man in his 90s lay ill in the hospital. His family gathered around him and the doctors came in to give them the report. And that is that their elderly father and grandfather and great-grandfather was too weak to survive. And it was only a matter of hours, maybe days. There was nothing they could do. So you can imagine the shock of the family who were gathered by the bedside when just a few moments later, they saw the patient, their father, grandfather, great-grandfather, this man in his 90s, smiling, appearing oblivious to any concern. And he said to them in a weak voice, he said, don't listen to the doctors. I'm going to be fine. You'll see. The children thought that maybe he was hallucinating. And they said to him, but didn't you hear what the doctor said? And this man said to him, don't listen to the doctors. I'm telling you, I'm going to recover. I'm going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And I'll tell you how I know. And he told the following story. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. Almost 80 years ago, when I was a child, it was Simchas Torah, and I was davening and celebrating in the same shul as the Vilna Gon. And during the dancing and the celebrating on Simchas Torah, accidentally, I stepped on the talus that the Vilna Gon was wearing. I stepped on the edge. And as the Vilna Gon turned, the talus started to slip off of his shoulder. <coughs> so the Vilna Gon, the greatest rabbi in the world, turned to me, this little boy, and he said to him in a sweet voice, my dear child, you should live to be a hundred, but would you please step off of my talus? So the man said, I have a guarantee. The Vilna Gon said, I'm going to live to be a hundred. I have several years left. You'll see, I will recover from this illness. And that's true. He recovered from that illness and he lived to 100. Okay, that's just an introduction <coughs> to set the scene for the story that I want to tell you. This is a story that is told by the Rav, Rav Yosef Soloveitchik. And it's an incredible story. It's the story of a man <coughs> who lived in the 1700s in Poland, near Vilna, a man who was the son of a famous Polish count, Count Potoki, and the father was one of the leading aristocrats of Poland. Somehow, this son became interested in Judaism 
and converted, and he was a ger tzedek, a righteous convert. Now, you need to understand, <coughs> in the 1700s in Poland, that just didn't happen. First of all, in many places, it was against the law. In Poland, it was a capital offense. You would be put to death. So he didn't convert in Poland. He actually went to Holland, where at least it was possible, although very improbable. He converted to Judaism in Holland, and he was a Gerzedek. He was a righteous convert, and he was known as the Graf, the Graf of Vilna, which means the Count. He was the son of the Count. He's known as the Graf, and he was a religious Jew, but he missed home. He missed Vilna. He missed Poland. And so he went back. But he was afraid to stay in Vilna because he was afraid he would be recognized. And converting to Judaism in Poland at that time was a capital crime. He would be executed. So he moved to a small village outside of Vilna and he lived there as a religious Jew. Somehow, it's not clear exactly what happened, but somehow his true identity became known to the authorities. He was arrested. He was convicted and sentenced to execution. He was given the choice to save his life by renouncing Judaism and returning to Christianity, which he refused. And he was executed on the second day of Shavuos in 1749 in the square in front of the famous cathedral in Vilna. Now that part is just historical fact. That's the background. <coughs> Here's the additional part to the story. On the night before the execution, the Vilna Gon came to visit this righteous convert, the Graf. And the Graf began to cry. The Vilnagon said to him, why are you crying? Are you afraid of the torture? Are you afraid of the pain of what's going to happen? The Graf said, I'm not afraid of the torture. And I'm not afraid to die as a Jew. I'm only afraid of one thing. I will be lonely in the world to come. My father, mother, they're not Jewish. I never married. I have no family. I'm all alone in the world. When I get to the world to come, I'll be alone. And that's why I'm crying. So the Vilna Gong quoted the famous verse. We actually include it in our Rosh Hashanah prayers. It's a verse from the prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah the prophet. Thus says God, King of Israel and its Redeemer, Hashem Tzvakos, the God of hosts. Ani Rishon, I am first. Viani Acharon, and I am last. Umi Baladai Ein Elokim. And outside of me there is no God. That's the verse. 
the Medrash <coughs> comments and explains the verse in the following way. The Medrash says, I am the first to the one who has no father, and I am the last to the one who has no son. I am the father to everyone who has no father, God says, and I am a son to everyone who dies childless. That is the promise that God makes. And the Graf said to the Vilnagon, Nichantani, you have comforted me. Vayihi acharei mos Avraham. And it was after Avraham died, at the very end of our parsha. Vayivorech Elokim es Yitzchak beno. God blessed Yitzchak, his son. Rashi quotes the comment in the Talmud. What was the blessing that God bestowed on Yitzchak at that moment? It was the blessing of consolation. Nichum Avelim. God was visiting one who was bereaved. He was paying a shiva call. But there's something curious about this verse. One more time. And it was after Avraham died. God blessed Yitzchak, his son. The Alshech, one of the famous classic commentators to the Torah, asks, why does it say Yitzchak Beno, his son? We all know that Yitzchak is Avraham's son. The whole Parsha is about Yitzchak being Avraham's son. Avraham died. God blessed Yitzchak. Why Yitzchak, his son? The Alshek gives the following answer. When Sarah died at the beginning of our parsha, Yitzchak was not alone because he still had his father, Avraham. But when Avraham died, Yitzchak was alone. He had no one. And God came to Avraham, to Yitzchak. God came to Yitzchak and blessed Yitzchak. Yitzchak Beno. God blessed Yitzchak, his son, God's son, Beno Shalakarash God said to Yitzchak, I am the father to one whose father has died. I am the son to the one who dies without children. God said to Yitzchak, you are never alone. Whenever we think we're alone, whenever we are grieving or struggling, whenever we're going through something and we feel that we are alone, we're not. We're not. Komar Hashem Melech Yisrael Vagoalo Hashem Tzvakos Ani Rishon Vani Acharon 
I am the first to the one who has no father. I am the last to the one who has no son. That's the promise that God makes to every single one of us. If we are in a situation where we feel alone, it's not true. God is there with you. My friends, I wish you a great evening. And I wish you a very beautiful Shabbos. <coughs> and I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person. Although at this moment, I know it's at least going to be for me another two and a half weeks. But I look forward to it nonetheless. Have a great Shabbos.